Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in the automotive industry and its supporting ecosystem and help them move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Yes, indeed, Bonnie in the house. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to help make the world a better place, then it's time to run and drive with the Game Changers. We know that because this is where the best run and this is where the best drive, and we're happy to have you on board with us today. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. I have a quote from a gentleman named Omer Kilaf. I found this at Fierce Electronics. Here is the title of his article, Diversity is Crucial to Innovation in the Automotive Industry. And he goes on to say, diverse groups of people bring unique perspectives to complex challenges. They simply look at things differently, which enables them to offer insight or ideas that groups of like-minded people might never even consider, unquote. I think we can apply this to any industry today, but of course, on Future of Cars, we're talking about automotive and manufacturing today. So here's some good news. Awareness of the competitive advantages of diversity continues to grow. That's good. However, let's take a look at some research here. McKinsey had a follow-up study last year, 2018, called Delivering on Diversity. Good title. And the study showed that, quote, gender and ethnic diversity are clearly correlated with profitability, but, here's the but, women and minorities remain unrepresented. That's not good news. And it's apparently especially true in automotive and manufacturing organizations. So we've got some more good news. We're bouncing from good news to ah, not so good today. The good news is there's an organization called Daughters of Rosie that helps women get hands-on jobs where they can grow in these industries. That's what we're going to be talking about. What else is being done besides organizations where people are coming together with people? Well, We like to talk about technology here on Game Changers Radio, so we're going to focus part of the show on machine learning and artificial intelligence. How are they helping to overcome bias in recruiting? You all know that there are built-in hidden biases in all kinds of human recruiting processes, and hopefully the algorithms will help get past that. So welcome, welcome, welcome again. The experts speak, and I have three experts here with me on the show today. In just a moment after I call their names, they're going to tell you who they are and what their backgrounds are. So we'll be meeting. Danielle Applestone from Daughters of Rosie. Very excited to have her on. Joe Barkai is returning. He's an industry analyst. And Margot C., I'm using your middle name, Margot C. Goodson at SAP is joining us as well. Joe is the returning guest. Danielle and Margot are new. So, Danielle Applestone, welcome. And please tell us just a little bit about who you are, your background, and who is or what are the Daughters of Rosie. Great. It's so awesome to be on your show. Um, I'm from rural Arkansas. I learned how to build stuff and basically my whole entire life has been shaped by building things. And I decided to run a factory at one point. I did that for five years and ended up staffing the factory with women that we found in the, in the community and, um, and also men who just had great aptitude and a desire to learn these like hands-on skills and actually get into manufacturing. And so after I sold that company, I decided to start Daughters of Rosie to really see if we could 
get this going on a much larger scale. And so we're delivering diverse talent to manufacturers and also getting these women uh, hands-on jobs where they can grow. And, um, of course, Daughters of Rosie, anybody can be a daughter of Rosie. You can be a man or a woman or or whatever gender you identify with. And um, the goal is really to start addressing the the skills gap in these hands-on industries. So I'm super excited to be here. Very interesting. We're very happy to have you. I, I have such a round of applause for people like you, Danielle, who start something from the ground up and say, there is a need. I have the skill. I have the passion, the motivation, the drive. I know what to do. I think I know what to do. And I'm going to tell people about it. We're going to start something. I, I, I'm just very admiring of, of what you've done. And just for reference, when you and I met on our prep call a couple of days ago, I said, we have some very young listeners around the world who may not know the reference to who Rosie was. Can you just give us a little background on why Daughters of Rosie? Who who was the original Rosie? Yeah, Daughters of Rosie is really like a nod to Rosie the Riveter. So Rosie mm-hmm. the Riveter was this iconic, you know, character really for World War II and um, allowed people to rally around the idea of women being in the manufacturing environment when most of the men were off fighting the war. And in that period of time, we also had another huge manufacturing, like, labor crisis. And we put 6 million women into jobs between 1942 and 1945. And I feel like if you can do 6 million women in three years with no Internet, we can definitely do it here (laughs) now, days when we have access to people. Definitely can. And I'm looking at the poster here. There are notebooks now you can buy for two bucks with Rosie the Riveter. And those of you who don't know, Rosie was a woman with her fist up with one arm over the muscle on her right hand, her arm in a fist. She had a red bandana, polka dot bandana around her head. She's beautiful in a blue work shirt. And the caption at the top of the poster is, we can do it, exclamation point. I love the reference. Thank you, Danielle. I really do. This is great. Now let's move on. Joe Barkai is next. Joe, reintroduce yourself. We haven't heard from you in a while, so please remind us who you are, what you do, and what's your passion for this topic. Good morning, and great to be back here, Bonnie. Um, As you said, I'm an industry watcher, blogger, author. I do a lot of public speaking on technology and business topics primarily around emerging technologies and the impact on business and society today and in the future. And some of the areas I really pay more attention to is first sort of the industrial internet of things, um, whether it's for product development or manufacturing, which is today's topic. But in general, I'm very interested in the future, in a future world in which everything and everybody is connected 24-7. One other area that is sort of the derivative of that is um, automotive. I cover technology and, and um, business aspects of connected cars, autonomous cars, future of mobility and transportation. And I also, by the way, do this as, as part of my role as the chairman of the Vehicle Internal Things Activity of the Society of Automotive Engineers, a mouthful, I know. Uh, but to the topic, uh, Danielle and I met, I think it was also kind of an engineering and, and manufacturing conference a couple of years ago. And as you said, Bonnie, I thought that what she was doing is so important uh, and the way she's doing is so cool that I'm, I'm so happy to be with her on this panel today. 
Thank you. We're happy to have you too, Joe. It's it's nice to see this, I'm just going to say a groundswell. I'm looking for a, a poster of Rosie the Riveter. I'm trying to put it out on, on Twitter right now with uh, hashtag SAP Radio and, of course, all of your handles so people will know. Young ones out there, this is part of history you need to know about, regardless of the country you live in, regardless of what you do for a living. This is important and powerful. Thank you, Joe. And our other newcomer today, Margot C. I'm sorry, I can't stop using your middle initial because I use mine. <laughs> Margo C. Goodson, it's just another just another syllable. Margo C. Goodson at SAP. Margo, welcome to Game Changers Radio. We'd love to know a little bit about what you do and why this topic is important to you. Go ahead, Margo. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. Yes, I'm Margo C. Goodson, and I am head <laughs> <laughs> of North America Diversity Inclusion for SAP. Uh, my background initially was finance and accounting, CPA, Six Sigma Greenbelt by trade, but currently have my passion as my profession, leading workforce and supplier diversification here at SAP. And gender diversity is one of the pillars that we believe will aid to our success, and as well as all the industries. And of course, we help power the manufacturing and automotive industry. So I'm happy to be here today to talk about this with all of you. And certainly, we recognize the benefits that you initially stated from McKinsey studies and such are around diversity from a gender perspective and, and race and ethnicity perspective and, and all types of thought leadership that comes when you diversify your methodologies to diversify your results. So I often say my mission now is making DNI our DNA at SAP. So thanks for having me. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. Another another person, another woman who is committed to making change, and that's what we're talking about today. Joe, I hope we get a chance to talk a little bit about all this marvelous tech connectivity in cars because that's part of the allure of the automotive topic, but we are focusing on the power of diversity on the show today. My guess, if you're new to Game Changers Radio as a listener, and we appreciate our global listeners, you've made this, these shows. We have 43 different shows, series under the banner of Game Changers Radio, and you have embraced us around the world, and we are very, very grateful. So this is the part of the show where I ask my guests to tell me about a quote they picked before the show and what the quote has to do with the topic. We're going to wax a little inspirational, maybe poetic, maybe philosophical, not too far off the topic, but I have the first quote up from Danielle Applestone at Daughters of Rosie, and Danielle is quoting Rumi. We haven't had a Rumi quote in a long, long time. Rumi has so many names that I cannot pronounce, but it looks like it means my master. Uh, Rumi was living from 1207 to 1273, a 13th century Persian poet, jurist, Islamic scholar, theologian, and Sufi mystic. I'm just going to leave it there. He has been described as the most popular poet and the best-selling poet in the United States. That was a surprise to me. God bless Wikipedia. Here's a quote. <clears throat> Everybody buckle up. No pun intended. We're talking about cars today uh, because this is a long quote. The quote is, this being human is a guest house. Every morning is a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness. Some monetary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and un- entertain them all. Treat each guest honorably. The dark thought, the shame, the malice. Meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. Danielle, this is just beautiful. I, I feel like it could have been written by somebody very modern, not not Rumi from, from the 1200s. So Danielle, tell me, how does this relate to our topic today, please? Yeah, for me, this is a quote about change. So it's not going to be easy 
to get millions of women <laughs> into these hands-on industries, especially automotive. And I think as part of that process, we really have to welcome all of the feelings around it. Like it's, it's going to, you know, maybe some people might feel bad that they haven't had women in their factory before. And maybe some people are excited. Maybe some people are scared and, and worried about how it'll be. And I think that for me, this quote speaks to like all of those emotions point to something important. And as long as we welcome them all in and we give space for them all, we can actually do the, for lack of a better world, word healing of the industry that needs to happen and bring everybody to the table. So that's why this, this quote really resonates for me in the work that we do with Daughters of Rosie. Thank you very much. Beautiful quote. Very happy to have the quote and you on the show. Joe Barkaya sent us a quote from Mark Twain, original name Samuel Langhorn Clemens, 1835. We moved up from the 1200s now to 1835 to 1910. He was known by his pen name Mark Twain, American writer, humorist, entrepreneur, publisher, and lecturer. He was called the greatest humorist this country has produced, and Faulkner called Mark Twain the father of American literature. If you're very young and you don't know the name or you're not a, a native English speaker, his novels most popularly known were The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, 1876, and its sequel, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn in 1885, and the latter was often called The Great American Novel. So if you hear one, somebody say to you, I asked you for a sentence, not a great American novel. They're referring back to The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Here's the quote Joe has selected. The trouble with the world is not that people know too little. It's that they know so many things that just aren't so. Joe, love this quote, too. Talk to me. Yeah, this is very typical Mark Twain's kind of tongue-in-cheek humor. So I wanted to take the, my side of the conversation a little bit more to the technical side. I guess I'm representing more technology today. So, you know, with today's buzz around artificial intelligence and machine learning, all this magic, uh, this is a very relevant topic uh, when, we, when we talk about the growth in manufacturing and, and that's facing um, labor, force, labor force shortage, which I think, again, we'll talk about it. Uh, and, and one area that we believe, hope, expect to help bridge the gap um, is, is uh, automation and artificial intelligence and machine learning. But I find that very few people really are aware of the risks in letting these automated self-running systems sort mm. of observe uh, and learn human behavior through through data, uh, through big data, yet another favorite buzzword. People do not fully understand the the fact that big data is fraught with gaps, with errors, and much worse, uh, fraught with untruths and even biases. And you, Bonnie, mentioned this earlier in the conversation. Mm-hmm. So I hope we'll have a, a chance to talk about uh, the upside of technology, but also some of the risks, uh, social risks, technical risks that we need to be aware of. Thank you very much. Interesting, interesting venue, shall we say, venturing into the technology part. Uh, there are, there's good news and there's not so good news about my, my concept of this, Joe, is if we're relying on automation and algorithms to help hire, fire, pick people, give jobs, take jobs away, write the curriculum for training, who is writing the algorithms? I, that always comes back to me is, is who's the human who started it all? That particular algorithm, that particular needing to get rid of bias. What are their biases? So there, there is, uh, there are inherent bumps in that road, but we're hoping that it will help move things along. Thank you, Joe. Great quote. Actually, Bonnie, if I can insert something, yes. make a quick comment and we'll come back to it. Sure. Um, I think this is slightly more 
involved in complex algorithms because the way we understand algorithms is procedures. Yes, we can find the person who wrote those mm-hmm. and maybe catch biases uh, and ill intentions and perhaps. But now we're talking about systems that presumably are sort of naive as they were written and designed, so the algorithms are not at fault, and therefore, mm-hmm. presumably, the, the authors, the programmers are not at fault. These systems observe our behavior, and because we are all biased, whether we acknowledge it or not, uh, our behavior, the data that we leave behind, the impact of society overall, is also biased. So those naive algorithms, quote-unquote, then go out and observe us through big data and learn you know, about bad behavior, learn about biases. They, they introduce their own biases. So it's, it's a little bit tricky about who's, who is responsible and who is to blame, if you will, um, for those. But I'll, I'll pause here, and I'm sure we'll touch upon this later. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Good, good comeback, and I, I thank you very much. Margot Sigurdsson has sent us a quote. I love these short quotes. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven words. This is from a Chaka Khan song. By the way, Chaka Khan, still very much with us, born in 1953. I call her a young lady. Her original name was Yvette Marie Stevens, but she's known by her stage name as Chaka Khan, American singer, songwriter, and musician. Her career has spanned nearly five decades, starting in the 70s as the the lead vocalist of the funk band Rufus. There you go. She was known as the queen of funk, the first R&B artist to have a crossover hit featuring a rapper with I Feel For You in 1984. Chaka Khan has won 10 Grammys and sold just a mere 70 million records worldwide. And here is the quote Margot has selected from the great vast lore of Chaka Khan. Here we go. I'm every woman. It's all in me. I wish I could sing it, Margot, but I don't want to scare people away. Margot, talk to me about this quote. Short and sweet. It is all in me and in all the women of the world. You know, there is so much that is expected of the female gender based to be the uh, home person running things at home, making an impact in the industry of technology and corporate America in vast number of ways, and particularly manufacturing and automotive, as we'll talk about today. So it's all in me, and it's all in each one of the women who we see in the industry today. We often see where we show that the gender diversity makes a difference in the productivity, innovation, and, and hard financial outcomes in business, as well as the intellect of conversation are increased tremendously when you add gender balance to it. And I read over the weekend, amazingly, that we had some what they call damsels of design for GM way back in the 1950s who did wonderful things for the automotive industry that were kind of hidden figures. You know, we saw a movie a couple of years ago, Hidden Figures, and yes. it talks about us being personally getting women on, uh, women being a part of getting the, the first mission to the moon, but then we also have it in automotive industry. So it is all in me and all in each one of these women who did uh, these designs for the retractable seatbelt, which is still around, and did things for the childproof latches and, and, and the early mm-hmm. car phone memo pads in the, in the cars. So fascinating what we as women can do because it's all in us to be both the caretaker, the businesswoman, the community service activist, and much, much more. So Shaka Khan got it right in a very few words <laughs> <to use> there. <laughs> she did. 
And those of you wondering if you think Whitney Houston originated that song, she covered it. Chaka Khan did it in 78, and Whitney Houston covered it in 1992. Both beautiful ladies and both very, very talented versions of the song. Uh, a little history here. GM's Damsel of, De- of Design was a group of 10 women brought on board in the mid-1950s, the first prominent all-female design team in American history. And I'm looking at a picture here of six of them, and they worked on yeah. automotive interiors. And the picture is from 1955. Suzanne Vanderbilt, Ruth Glennie, Marjorie Ford Pullman, Harley Earl, Jeanette Linder, Sandra Longyear, and Peggy Sauer. And this is S-A-U-E-R. And uh, the history of it started with a man. Harley J. Earl was vice president of GM styling section, and he ushered in new designs, including concept cars, blah, blah, blah. He introduced female designers to his department in the 40s and 50s, believing they would make cars that appealed to female consumers. (laughs) That was certainly an eye-opener, wouldn't you say, Margo, that, my goodness, women might be the ones making the buying decisions back in the 40s. Hmm? Absolutely, and still running it today with over 83% impact in that consumer market of buying cars. <laughs> and and here's, myself. <laughs> here's a press release from 1958. Let, let everybody listen up. This is a good one. The skilled feminine hands helping to shape our cars of tomorrow are worthy representatives of American women who today cast the final vote in the purchase of three out of four automobiles. Oh, my God. Goodness. And there was something called a feminine auto show in 1958. And they have a picture here of the fancy free Corvette, an exhibition stage to promote the female designer's work. What a beautiful, this is at core, C-O-R-E-7-7.com. If you want to look at that website, you'll see pictures of damsel of design. Wonderful. Oh, thank you for the reference, ladies and gentlemen. Great references there. We're going to get to know all of you just a little bit more personally right now. Danielle Applestone, two questions for you, and then we'll go around the table. Danielle, where in the world are you calling from today? And what's your favorite drink that powers you and makes you so powerful? Danielle? (laughs) I am calling from Oakland, California at Mm -hmm. my home, and I am drinking tea. I'm into teas. I'm drinking this tea called Pu'er, it's like P-U space E-H-R, I believe, and it's tea, but it's fermented and oxidized and compressed mm-hmm. into what looks like a giant, like, cow patty. Okay, so I'm looking at like, it. I've got it already here up on Wikipedia. you might see out <laughs> in the pasture, um, but you just, like, break <laughs> off a piece of it, throw it in the water, and you can steep it, like over and over and over kind of like all day if you want to and it's still super tasty really high in caffeine um and this puer actually has like little bits of ginger compressed in with it so that's <laughs> that's what i'm drinking probably roomy drank puer also probably did it goes back to well uh, a certain fermentation process for puer tea was developed in 1973 by the kunming tea factory creating a new type of puer tea very interesting if you go everybody just pu apostrophe ert tea you'll find the wikipedia page and it talks about this chinese tea it's a variety of fermented tea produced in the yunnan province of china fermentation in the context of tea production involves microbial fermentation 
fermentation and oxidation of the tea leaves after they've been dried and rolled. It's a specialty. Thank you very much. We've never had pu'er tea on the show, Danielle, and we appreciate that. I told you something unusual is always uh, always piques our interest. Thank you. Joe Barca, you've been on so many times, I forget all the drinks you've shared with me. But, Joe, where are you calling from today, and what's your favorite beverage, whether it's the old one or you got something new for me? I, I, I know it's kind of getting harder and harder. Anyway, <laughs> I'm calling from a suburb of Boston called Natick and uh, just Pitt. Yes. I uh-huh. think the town was incorporated in 1780 or so, thereabout. But uh, supposedly it was actually uh, originally founded by Christianized Native Americans in 1650. So it's a very – and the place that we – took place is a few miles from down the road from here. So it's a very, very old place. Um, so besides, you heard before combining water and coffee and so on, I'm mm-hmm. doing more and more. Um, we, are, we are allowed to mention uh, brand names, are we not? Sure you can. Yes, please. Yes. So, I, so I, I use drinks from a company called Juice Plus. So it's really kind of a, a combination of nutrients and minerals and good stuff sort of that can replace a whole meal. So it helps get through the day. But I thought about it a little bit more, and then I think that my, my drink has not been invented yet. I think they're working on it, but it doesn't exist yet. So I'm looking into the future. I'm waiting for the time when we will have functional drinks, i.e., you know, balanced nutrients and vitamins and so on, that is built to our specific needs. So it's kind of functional drinks based on nutritional genomics. Uh, and um, you can create individual balanced uh, diet, you can uh, in, incorporate the medication that a person needs, and mm-hmm. most importantly, it needs to be tasty. So again, we need to know your genome to create something that you find uh, flavorful. So I'm waiting for this to be invented. Uh, hopefully, I'll be back on the show in time to share. <laughs> well, when they have a version with chocolate in it, you get. we'll do a whole show on that one. I like that idea. By the way, Natick was... <laughs> Natick was settled in 1651 by John Elliott, 1 LM1T, a Puritan missionary born in Hertfordshire, England, who received a commission from England's long parliament to settle the Massachusetts Indians on both sides of the Charles River. There you go. They were the praying Indians, they were called. Very interesting lore. Thank you very much. You can look up N-A-T-I-C-K, Massachusetts, on Wikipedia. What would we do without our Wikipedia? Margo Goodson, where are you today, and what do you love to drink? I am calling right outside of the city of brotherly love and sisterly affection. So Ooh. right outside of Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> um, in our new town square headquarters, uh, where we're based locally. So lo- grew up in the city and loved this area and stayed nearby. Um, I don't really have a favorite drink. I have to admit every morning I'm powered by Starbucks and whatever the best flavoring they can give me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I guess if I were to say my weekend drink, Sauvignon Blanc, very sophisticated, smooth yet bold, and also flavorful. So <laughs> I suppose I, that would be my response to what I typically like to have outside of the water coffee realm. Very nice. Thank you. Well, as Joe knows, and Danielle and Marco don't know, I'm not allowed to have anything with caffeine on radio show days. And Tuesday is typically two live shows back to back, but our noon show of Financial Excellence with Game Changers is going to be a replay so I can have a slightly early lunch since I didn't have any breakfast today, Joe, because I was so excited to be on the air. But all I'm allowed to have on radio show days is water. So I have, uh, I will tell you that I recently invested in silicone straws because it was called to my attention by many radio and TV broadcasts broadcast that we were gunking up the oceans with 
paper with pla- well actually plastic straws so I gave them up not not willingly I gave them up went to paper straws which I did not enjoy the taste the texture so I invested in some lovely a different size different depth width so we'll call it uh, some are bendy some are straight they come with a little brush that you clean them with and they're silicone straws it takes a little bit of getting used to the texture but there's no flavor and they're actually pretty cool so I have a lavender color bendy straw in my cool clear glass of cool water and that's what I'm drinking. If you're just tuning in, we're having a lot of fun, but we're talking about a very, very serious topic, the power of diversity in automotive and manufacturing. We're speaking with three experts in the field, three people who really, really care about this topic and are very smart about it. We have Danielle Applestone at Daughters of Rosie. She founded the organization. Look it up if you don't know what it is. Joe Barkai, one of our favorite industry analysts, and Margot C. Goodson at SAP, who also is very invested in diversity. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We have to do a quick shout out to Judy Cubis at SAP, who sponsors this wonderful series. This is season four. We've been with the series for four years and very happy to keep bringing you news about automotive, whether it's on the diversity side, whether it's on the manufacturing side, technology, connectivity, we cover it all here. And also to Miranda Labate, who has been working with Judy on the series for a year, and Miranda just got a new position at SAP, so she'll be moving on. But we are grateful to you, Miranda, for all the work you've done setting up these shows for so long, and thank you very much. So we're going to take a quick break. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial, whatever it is you're doing to listen to us. We're glad you're here, and we'll be back in 90 seconds. Our topic again today is the power of diversity in automotive and manufacturing, and it affects you, whoever you are. Aaron out. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. SAP is excited to be a co-innovator with the automotive industry as we help automotive and related companies digitally transform their entire industry and disrupt their existing business models. The Future of Cars with Game Changers brings you insights from the people in the driver's seat who are making this happen. We'll delve into industry challenges and solutions that support ecosystem industries, all to help you succeed in transforming your business and business networks for success in the new digital networked age. Tune in to the Business Channel to hear today's top technology and business strategy thought leaders share expert insights on how the automotive industry is shaping the future of change for all of us. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of Cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to the future of cars with Game Changers. Yes, indeed. We're talking about the industry, not specifically the cars today, the power of diversity in automotive and manufacturing. Special panelist Danielle Applestone at Daughters of Rosie, Joe Barkai, industry analyst, and Margot C. Goodson at SAP. And I'm still Bonnie D. Graham. We're starting the roundtable formally now, and here are some notes that Danielle Applestone sent me before the show, and she'll tell us what this all means, and then we will invite Joe and Margot. Go to chime in. So Danielle wrote the following. In the U.S., across manufacturing, 
manufacturing, construction, repair, and transportation, we have over 1 million job openings and over 8.5 million workers in those industries are 55 or older. Danielle, why don't you finish the thought for us and then tell us what this all means. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the the summary is we're behind and it's only going to get harder. Um, I I feel like the normal place that people think about like, oh, okay, we have a, we have an education gap here. We have a skills gap here. What are our career technical programs doing? And um, when I did research on this topic, there's only about 300,000 people in those industries who are graduating every year and can be hired from career technical programs. But with, Eight and a half million people who are over 55, that means roughly 850,000 people are retiring each year. So if we're graduating 300,000 and 850,000 are retiring and we're already a million job openings behind, to me that just points to there has to be a better way. There has to be another thing that we do to not only keep people getting into these industries, but make up for the deficit that's created by baby boomer retirement. You mean baby boomers are retiring, Danielle? Nobody gave me the message. Nobody told me that. Oh, my goodness. I'm supposed to retire. I refuse to go away quietly or otherwise. Thank you. I don't think we should ever retire, but that's just me. Okay. Thank you, Danielle. Joe Barkai, chime in here. What do you think? Well, of course, we all know the statistics. I want to really underscore what Danielle just said. Uh, and, and emphasize that it's more than just a matter of headcount. It, it's, it's an issue of those that retire, those gray-haired baby boomers, are usually more experienced workers. So even if we had a supply uh, to meet the growing demand as they are exiting the workforce, the people that come in uh, are usually better educated, but they're certainly not as experienced uh, as the older workforce. Uh, couple this with the fact that uh, unemployment rate is very, very low. What is it, 3.6%, I think, mm-hmm. which is the lowest since, like, 1970 or whatever. So we don't really have enough people looking for work. So we have a situation where we're really growing, and not only headcount gap, but we're growing uh, a knowledge gap. And in manufacturing, knowledge is very, very critical. It's not a matter of just, again, having more heads and eyes and, and arms. It's brain power that is moving uh, out of the workplace. And I want to kind of uh, tee this, perhaps tee the topic, uh, around automation. So the question is, in addition to uh, fulfilling the, the headcount, is automation, is robotics, is AI-based um, systems, are, are they capable, will they be able to help close the gap or, or not at all? Thank you very much. And, Joe, I have to make a correction. You said gray-haired workers. Some of us are red-haired workers, so just let's be. Well, some of us don't even have hair. (laughs) (laughs) No, let's let's not. (laughs) So we have have to think of diversity when we describe the baby boomer population because, yes, we are. Joe, thank you very much for that. Danielle's laughing because we had a chat about that before the show. Marco, join us. Marco, what about this retirement rate and the knowledge base of people who are supposed to go away quietly and some of us just refuse. Marco, what do you see? 
I, you know, definitely some skills gaps and things to be filled. We have five generations of the workforce at SAP, and I would imagine that many other companies do. And there has to be that generational intelligence, reverse mentoring, and exchange between the, the workers to ensure that the incoming talent can get up to speed quickly from the outgoing talent. I also think that we have to start earlier and earlier to plan for filling those roles. So in looking at our internship and rotational programs that companies offer, even in the manufacturing industry and automotive, to help bring them along. I saw something about a new STEP product um, program, they call it, instead of science, technology, engineering, and math, it's engineering and production, and it's around the manufacturing industry to really be mentors and service sponsors and scholarships in that industry specifically to help close that gap, whether you're starting at the high school, collegiate, or even middle school level, to really get more women and men engaged younger, younger and younger in the manufacturing industry, particularly the gender diversity we're talking about today, getting the young women interested in it will help also with filling that skills gap and helping with the retiring community to then have a more inf- a greater influx. Right now, there's only about 29% women in the industry. So, again, if we're looking to close that gap, we have to upscale the workers that are incoming, Gen Z, millennials, et cetera, to help before the baby boomers who don't want to retire, which I'm glad about that for those of you who don't want to, um, to be there together and really have that impact for success. Thank you very much. Danielle, good conversation around the table. Anything else you would like to add? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Joe mentioned the unemployment rate, but one of the, the number that I like better is actually the number of women who are participating in our economy and who are working part-time but want to be working full-time. So these people are employed, they're ready, and that number is 6 million. There's 6 million women who are in the workforce working part-time who want to be working full-time. And my plan, just to be totally transparent, is just to train all of those women to do these hands-on roles because they're already, they already have the skills to work and, and, and be in the workplace and um, and they want more. They're hungry. And I feel like we're going to find pockets of those people all throughout the economy. And those are the people we really want to pull into these hands-on industries. Thank you very much. Good comments all around the table. Thank you all. Very compelling, Danielle. Now you know how well the roundtable works. Joe Barkai, I'm looking at your notes, and you know I would love to get into the technology part. So I'm going to read this, and let's see if you want to go there. You say, automation, robotics, and AI-based machine learning will address some of the need going forward, but not entirely, as some jobs require operational and decision-making abilities and dexterity beyond the capabilities of robots today. And you left the door open by saying robots today, Joe, maybe robots tomorrow or next year. So, Joe, talk to me about this this gap in the skills, uh, the question of expertise, and who are we still going to need to do those jobs that require that? Let's just go with dexterity and abilities. Joe? Right. So, obviously, there is a, a gap, if you will, between the ability of most of, of current-day robots in terms of dexterity, uh, in terms of uh, what that really means, kind of picking up uh, parts or, or, or subsystems in a way that the robot knows the orientation, knows how much pressure it needs to apply in order to hold the part safely, etc. But robots today are really still kind of looked upon or operate as independent uh, autonomous units. They don't interact with humans and so on. So they typically there's kind of a, a gate around the robot. And, and so the ability of these robots to perform complex tasks is, is 
in so many ways limited relative to our vision. So a few years ago, or maybe more like a decade ago or two, we, we were talking about lights out factories. The idea was that the factory can be fully automated, no need for humans. Uh, well, <laughs> typically the story is a lights out factory has only two human creatures, uh, a man and a dog. A man to feed the dog and the dog to make sure that the man does not touch the automation. Uh, we, we are not quite there yet. I've, I've heard that. I think that's new for Danielle. I've, I've heard that. Joe, say that again because we, we don't want to step on the laugh. Say that one more time. I love it. So a light-out factory uh, is fully automated. All work is done by robots and automation, and there are only two living creatures in the factory, a man and a dog. I'm sorry, it could have been a woman and a dog, but... Thank you. <laughs> well, although this perhaps it's more for a man because a man does not follow <laughs> orders uh, or read the instructions. Neither you know, do a lot of us, dear. <laughs> I, I, used, I used to have a T-shirt that says, real men do not read plans. But anyway. Um, or so directions. The, the factory, or directions. Uh, the factory has only two li- uh, living creatures, a man and a dog. The man to feed the dog, and the dog to make sure that the man does not touch the automation. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> so this, is our, this is our vision, and there are a few factories that are pretty close to that. But the idea of completely a touchless factory uh, mm-hmm. is not capable, not today, not for the next decade or so, because robots um, lack in terms of dexterity, decision-making, autonomous decision-making, handling exceptions, where humans are very, very good in doing that. But going forward, we'll see more and more collaboration between robots and humans. So that, so that was the idea behind um, introducing the, the technology here. And, and we, I do think that in so many ways, technology, automation, robots will help close some of the gaps that we just discussed. So there are going to be more and more tasks and jobs that will be reluctantly relegated to robots. So one side effect of this uh, is that we, um, on, a, on the one hand, we have gap in, in skill availability. At the same time, we'll generate more, we'll grow the gap between, we'll, eventually some jobs will, will go away, will have to go away. Not so much in manufacturing, performing services, but the, the advanced in automation will also cause uh, job shortage, or sorry, job losses, rather. Thank you, Joe. We love that dog thing. No matter who, who, who it's preventing from touching the automation. Margo C. Goodson, join me. We need your voice here. What do you think about what Joe said? Agree, disagree, or anything in between? I'll say I'm somewhere in between. I definitely think <laughs> the advancements that we have today of AI and ML and IoT are going to really help us tremendously in this manufacturing and, and automotive industry. But we certainly need to temper it with the human brain and the, the judgment calls that are relevant. I definitely think it will impact the jobs that are available, but it will help us to become more analytical in the roles held by the human. So technology will be our friend in, in numerous ways and then where it does cause disruption, I do believe it will be positive disruption with respect to the advancements that we'll have in the industry. And with um, running what we do through some of the programs that we help from SAP's perspective with the customer base, the customers who are running technology in the automotive industry will use it intelligently, right? So that's, that's where I see the intersectionality between the industry that we're talking about, the workforce that will be there, the technology that it all come together with respect to the advancements needed for this next 
next generation. So certainly what he say is, is said is very relevant, and I just believe that there will be a, a um, merging of the human brain and the technological engine that powers the brain source of the robotics. I've seen many of them featured out at the auto shows and other tech showcases, and it's just phenomenal, the artificial intelligence that exists today within them. Thank you very much, Margo. Great comments. Danielle Applestone, we'd love to hear from you now on what Joe introduced for us. Go ahead, Danielle. Yeah, I think absolutely he's he's spot on about the need for humans still in the process. I travel mm-hmm. all around to a ton of huge factories and talk to a bunch of people who are in charge of production in this um, really like industry 4.0 world. And I have, I have heard of and seen fully automated factories and they are still struggling to hire people because there's, you know, there, the production is fully automated, but they still need basically like robot medics. Like they need people to go around and repair these things to make sure they're running like properly. And they're, like Joe said, there's this skills issue where it's like, yes, they automated the labeling of something, but now there's a higher skilled role, which is monitoring, you know, 10 or 20 robots who are manufacturing these products. And now there's, now they're, they're struggling to hire the medic, (laughs) not just the production person that they automated. Now they have this whole new set of problems and really it demands problem solvers. Like, uh, more than anything else, more than, like, a specific, you know, like a machinist, you used to be able to go to just get a machinist degree. Well, now it's, like, a very interdisciplinary role that they're hiring for. So, absolutely, this automation has created jobs that are even harder to fill than before. Thank you very much. Good all the way around. Joe, anything you want to do to wrap that up? We have time for me to take one more comment here from Margot's list. So, Joe, anything else you want to add there? Yeah, just, just to complete um, yeah. the description. Uh, and we are, for us, I'm going to be stating the obvious, but maybe not for the audience. Factories are not dirty, noisy, um, mm-hmm. dangerous places anymore. A few portions of factories are like that. Factories today are basically computer rooms. So the environment is different. The needs are different. The complexity of the task is very, very different. So it's really not your grandfather's or grandmother's um, factory. I do want to in- introduce another thought here, though, that... Because, as I said, automation and robotics will lead to job loss, permanent loss of jobs in many sectors. We need more than just saying this will happen and let's just train more people. We need to really start thinking about um, how we, we, we look at our organizations and human workers, how we reformulate the relationship between organizations and human workers because, again, the introduction of high level of automation and maybe shifts in job descriptions and activities, as Danielle mentioned. But if we do believe, and I believe that robotics will lead to permanent permanent loss of jobs, we need to rethink the relationship of the working organization. Thank you very much. Do it, Margo, do it Margo proactively. They, proactively. Good point. Uh, I think that's what we're talking about here today. Margo C. Goodson, you sent me so many interesting statistics. I'm focusing on the Deloitte study you mentioned. May I read that one? Uh, Margo, is that okay? The first point, Uh, Margo says Deloitte cites in their 2018 white paper on diversity in manufacturing 
that the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics show that women totaled 47% of the U.S. labor force in 2016. Now, keep in mind, that's three years ago. But manufacturing industry had 71.5% male and only 29.5% female. Research shows that gender diverse... Here's the bottom line for all of you wondering why you should care. Research shows that gender diversity benefits a manufacturing organization through the improved ability to innovate, higher return on equity, and increased profitability. And Margot, this goes back to my opening statement about uh, the comment I quoted. Let me go back to my opening here. I quoted from the article, diversity is crucial to innovation in the automotive industry, the article by Omer Kilaf. So Margot, why don't you give us some commentary on your point? I think we just have a couple minutes for this. Please go ahead. Yes, and it just really just emphasizes the need for the increase in balance. If we have 47% of the labor force um, being in higher than that now, women, and only 29.5% in manufacturing industry and automotive, there's a shortfall. And you want to have, as stakeholders and stockholders of your company, you want to have higher innovation, higher return on equity, and, and increased profitability. The benefits of that gender diversity wider talent pool, different perspectives, enhanced collaboration, improved staff retention. All of those things are going to help with your cash flow returns and and those hard savings and then also your marketability, whatever you're selling, widgets, you know, products Mm -hmm. and services, cars, et cetera. You have to have those various perspectives in the design of what you're doing to ensure that you're inclusive in your culture internally and in your outreach to those that you're appealing to in the market. So having that female perspective that fully embodies the workforce that's available to what you have represented at your company is going to be key. Therefore, you're filling those gaps of skills. You're filling those gaps of unfilled jobs to carry the clues, to carry the industry norms and trends into the future. So I think that that was a very relevant study that they did, and it was based on data at the time, and a white paper was written last year, but they often update it, you know, and they look at census data information when that's conducted for population statistics purposes. So very key, very key as we recognize the uh, improved uh, capabilities that will come with that gender diversity. Thank you very much, Margo. I love the passion. That's what we're talking about here. Danielle, I, you know what? I'm going to move this along to our roundtable at the end, our lightning round called the Crystal Ball Predictions Round, because we're just about out of time. But, Margo, thank you for this. So, Danielle, you could do a couple things. You could make a prediction on whatever part of the forward motion of diversity efforts that you and your organization are making and people like Joe and Margo on manufacturing and automotive, or you can make a future comment based on the study that Margo just mentioned. So I'm going to give you 60 seconds, Ms. Applestone, and I'm ready for your prediction. Joe is on deck, teed up for his prediction, and then Margo will finish with you. And you all get uh, maybe 75 seconds today. I'm in a generous mood. No, we have a little extra time. Danielle, I get to play with the seconds. Danielle Applestone, prediction. Yeah, I think that manufacturers are ready, and it's just a question of how. Like, they believe the data just like everybody else does. I think it's about how are we actually going to do it? Like, say I'm a, a VP of manufacturing somewhere, and I've got 18 plants. How am I actually going to do this, and who's going to help me? And so my prediction is that that it's about change management, really. It's about getting the industry to change how it presents itself to women, how it markets itself 
to women and other affinity groups as well. I think that there's a lot of people out there who have just never considered these hands-on positions. And so I predict that there will be an overhaul of what these jobs actually, you know, how we talk about these jobs and also that there'll be a lot more pathways for manufacturers to make those changes because they're on board. They know that the rate of, you know, that the rate that they spit out widgets is the rate at which they print money. And so they want yeah. this. They want more product, productive people and more people on their assembly line and in their factories um, as we move forward. So I, I predict that we will be able to solve this problem, but that there will be a lot of change about how the world thinks about manufacturing roles and what are the mechanisms through which we get more of these women into manufacturing and how do we train them. Final prediction is that there'll be a heck of a lot more training done at the manufacturer instead of offloading that training to more generic training programs that output a smaller number of people than the manufacturers actually need. Thank you very much. I like the optimism in there. Joe Barkai, prediction. You've got uh, 75 seconds, same as Danielle. Margo's all teed up, ready to go. Joe, you're up. Sure. So I will kind of add the next chapter to Danielle's prediction, which I wholeheartedly agree with, of course. Uh, on the technology side, we'll see more progress in, in robotics and automation uh, that move from kind of independent operators to machines working in close collaboration with the women that Danielle is going to introduce to the workforce. So these machines will work collaboratively with human line workers. Uh, and, and again, as we said earlier, lights out factories are not in the next uh, decade or so. But, and that's the, my other kind of side story for that, as machines become more independent and make complex, more complex decisions, uh, we will be slowly uncovering and realizing new issues we need to deal with. One of them are questions regarding the ethics of machines making their own decisions, privacy concerns in some sectors, and I go here outside of the automotive industry. So questions regarding machines and making decisions on, human, on behalf of humans is going to be a critical discussion. And I go back to a point I made earlier about permanent loss of jobs. We will probably have to have some conversations about uh, job losses, and perhaps about guaranteed minimum income. Uh, I think it will be an um, unavoidable outcome of the progress we're making in, um, um, in automation. And the most important thing is we have to have conversation. We have to have open, transparent dialogues about these issues and address them from, you know, thoroughly, systematically, and in a, in a fashion like body your platform is, uh, is helping us uh, do. Thank you very much. Appreciate that, Joe. Margo C. Goodson, I have 75 seconds for you. Use them well. Go. Okay. So I read an article about the power to harness the untapped spending power of women. And it stated that right now there's a group of 40 million 50-plus American women representing over $15 trillion in purchasing power. And that we are the healthiest, wealthiest, most active generation in history. With that being the case, whether it's automotive industry or anything else, people have to be very cognizant and aware of the power that the female gender holds right now and into the future. So my prediction will be as we continue to dominate spend, advance in the workplace, even start our own businesses, and of course science already shows we outlive the men, <laughs> there will be an increased demand for women leading the way in corporate America's manufacturing and technology industries. And that femininity that's brought to it, that ideation, that innovation, that 
productivity that's enhanced will benefit everyone, not just women, but everyone. So that the designers, the future leaders of the of the world, and particularly in the U.S., will really impact male and female, all generations, all race and ethnicities, with the power of the innovation that comes forth with them and the attention that's given to the gender, the female gender, for the respect of the buying power and such. That Thank we have you, Marco. And the in the industry. Thank you. Couldn't have said it better. That was a beautifully all-inclusive and inspiring final comment. Thank you very much. I want to thank my three special guests. I'll call out your names in a second, but kudos to Judy Cubis for sponsoring the series. Miranda LeBate will miss working with you, but you've been wonderful. Aaron Keller, our engineer extraordinaire at World Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com, the business channel team. Thank you so much. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here is my very, very appropriate call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. Uh-huh. Future of cars. Get it? What are you waiting for? I say that on all the shows. Go out and be a game changer today, just like Danielle Applestone at Daughters of Rosie, just like Joe Barkai, industry analyst, and certainly just like Margot C. Goodson at SAP. Have a great day. Keep driving safely. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to The Future of Cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.